Hello, and welcome to the Neighboring Movement podcast, a podcast about the power and importance of neighboring. I'm your host, Ian Campbell, the faith-based program director here at the Neighboring Movement. Today, we bring you the first in a series of podcasts focused on neighboring movements in other parts of the world. Our guest today is Joseph Rathenham, who I would say is really a world leader in neighboring. I consider him a friend and mentor, and he is one of the leading voices of the neighborocracy movement in India, a movement that is taking the power and promise of neighboring to a whole different scale than we've ever seen before. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. Yeah. I'll start by letting you introduce yourself. Uh, who are you? What is the work you've been doing? And what made you realize that neighbors are so important to the future of this planet? It's wonderful. Wonderful to be with you and introduce myself. I'm Joseph Pratinam from Chennai, the capital city of Tamil Nadu state in India. I, I am a married person. I have a wife and uh, two children. And my elder daughter is uh, married and settled elsewhere. And my son is with me. Now, I was a businessman in the 80s. And in the late 80s, my business was very good. So I thought of doing something for the society. So by 1990, I thought and decided that I will start a political party, thinking that I can do a lot to people through a political uh, unit. So I registered my party in 1991 and started working, you know, uh, appointing uh, various in judges and uh, secretaries, that and this, uh, cadres uh, involving and all that. A lot of things are happening. And within one year, I, I, my party became, you know, quite uh, large with uh, especially the youth because I was uh, very good in uh, uh, public speaking. So people were attracted with the ideas, what I was sharing with them. So many cadets joined. But in the process also, I started learning from the mainline political parties that something is fishy with the party politics. And everyone always started talking about coming to power, making money and all that in the party politics. Then I said, uh, everyone is talking about making money and coming to power and nobody talks about the people's issues, people's problems. It was a disturbing factor to me. I said, uh, something is, something is uh, getting uh, wrong here. Then I started studying about it. Then I came across one beautiful uh, saying by Dr. Ambedkar. Ambedkar was uh, our, uh, the father of our Indian constitution, was a lawyer, Bharatla, and all that. And he was also the Home Minister, sorry, the law, law Minister of India at that time in 1950s, early 50s. And he had a large gathering behind him because he is from the Dalit community, from the low caste community. So he was trying to liberate this low caste from the clutches, from the oppression 
the discrimination and uh, all this uh, stuff from the society. So there was a mass gathering behind him. So somebody asks him, so you have such a lots of uh, people behind you. Why don't you start a political party? And he says, even if a saint comes down from heaven and starts a political party to change the system, he cannot change the system, but the system will change him. That is a statement he made. And he explained a bit. To run a political party, you need money. And when you need money, only when you, I mean, uh, when you stretch out your hand outside, you will get the money. And once you get your, I mean, uh, stretch your hand out for money, you have to compromise with the money to people. And once you compromise, you become part of the system and you cannot change the system. And uh, it really attracted my attention. I said, oh, this uh, eye-opening. So I've been believing all these years that party politics can do a great change in democracy. But what this man says is something worth listening to. Then I started you know, discussing a lot and reading a lot about uh, party politics and that and this and the democracy system and all that. As I was uh, reading all these things, I came across one writing from uh, Mohandas Karandas Gandhi, that is Mahatma Gandhi. He says, the governance has to start from below from the lowest strata of the society, that is the uh, villages. And 20 people at the center cannot come together and dictate terms politically, socially, economically for the vast mass. No. Every individual has to be part of the decision-making process in, in democracy. And that should be the, that will be the real democracy. Then uh, that also, you know, triggered my mind and said, yeah, there's a lot of things going on. Then I started spending a lot of time analyzing the democratical process and how it happens, how the governance in the democratical setup happens. Then finally, I found out democracy is controlled by the moneyed people, the rich people. And few rich people, in order to have the political clout, political power in their hands, use the consent of the vast majority, and that's what democracy is. And I understood this. Yeah. Even now, it is, it is very apparent in the larger democracies like uh, India, US, and Britain, and all. What is happening? So in the name of democracy, only the moneyed people rule the whole mass and the politicians are only the covers masks for them so they doesn't they don't uh, they don't worry about which party comes to power they have to play the mask role of the mask beautifully and they will support them whoever plays the role of the mask perfectly they will be supported by these rich people that's all then i said i am in the wrong track Though immediately I wrote to the election commission and uh, 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 de-recognized my party. 
then I said, we have to stop party politics. We we'll have to start people's politics. Then I started studying how to start people's politics because parliament is the seat of power, seat of governance. Ordinary people do not have any access to this uh, platform called parliament or senate. We send only our representatives. People send only their representatives to the senate or uh, to the parliament. And what happens there in the parliament? They don't talk the mind of the people. They don't reflect the opinion of the people, but they reflect only the opinion of the party they belong to. Whether Democrats or Republicans or Congress or PJP, whatever is the party, whichever is ruling or even the MPs, they reflect only the opinion of the party they belong to, not the real opinion of the people whom they represent. Then it disturbed me a lot. Then I said, yes, the parliament should not be in a place where ordinary people do not have access, but it should be in every street where people can directly participate. But I was wondering how to bring the parliament to the streets. And I've, I've been discussing with lots of people here and there and all that. I conducted meetings, so, you know, conferences and all that I did. And finally, I came across one person, one Catholic priest called Father Edwin. And he was already talking about these neighborhood uh, arrangements. Immediately, I went to meet him. I, was, I stayed with him for 10 days. I asked him, what is this? Then he started sharing all his experiences, what he started in uh, mid-70s for the Catholic Church. Neighbor, I mean, neighborhood-based... Uh, units, uh, Catholic uh, uh, comprising of Catholic families based on the neighborhood. And they will come, you know, once in a way, once in a week, and they pray together and share things together and all that. And late 80s, he started asking the question, why only for Catholics? Why not for everyone? Then he had already come with the idea of this neighborhood units irrespective of their caste, religion, or uh, uh, social status, or economical status, or educational status, whatever it is. And all those people, those who are living in the immediate neighborhood, will be part of this unit, and they will take charge of the governance of the neighborhood. That was his idea. Then that was a time I joined with him. I learned a lot from him. Then we started working together, and the name Neighborhood Parliament was brought in. And we started working together, you know, uh, training various group of people, that and this. And we started, you know, preparing the modules, preparing the system, how it has to operate and all that. That's how this neighborhood parliament movement started. Then, as we were working on with various organizations, some people gave this idea that working with adults is getting difficult organizing them bringing them bringing them together because each one has got their own priorities their own focus and that and this and they have lots of doubts and uh, all that then we said okay we will start with children and that's how the children parliament started the same neighborhood the same way it works but only for the children children starting from the age of 6 to 18 that was our beginning uh, experiment in the beginning.
So we started Children Parliament and many organizations took interest in this because working with children is very easy. So they started working on that and uh, simultaneously there was a lot of experiments done with adults also uh, in some part of the country and all that. Then after some time, what happened was children above the age of 15 said, okay, we are already grown up. We are no more children. Don't call us children. Then we asked, what do you want to be part of? He said, we are youth. So we said, from 6 to 15, it will be called uh, children parliament. Then from 16 to 24, it, they will be called the youth parliament. And about 25, they will be part of the neighborhood parliament. The same neighborhood, it will have three units. That's how we decided and started working. And uh, very interesting. That's how it is going on now. And now it is bred. It is spread even in the European countries under a different name called the SONEC. And I will come to that later in our discussion on that. Well, what a wealth of um, conversation topics that we can delve into just from that uh, few minutes of talking. And so we're going to get into all of that. But I just wanted to tell our listeners that the reason that we're starting this series is that we've always thought at the neighboring movement that when neighbors come together, everyday people can have some serious power. Around the world in places like India and Syria and Mexico, there are massive movements taking what we are doing with neighboring here, uh, building those same kinds of abundant relationships we are, but then turning those relationships into a completely transformative way of governing their daily lives, um, far more empowering than the divisive party politics that Joseph has been talking about. Um, that we also find ourselves in here in the United States. So we brought Joseph in today to the podcast to help us learn about the most radical horizons um, and what those are for neighbor. Um, so I just wanted to get into a little bit more because um, we, we mentioned the word earlier, neighborocracy. So can you describe what is neighborocracy and what are its dreams for the world? Yes. Thank you, Ian. It's a very good, very important question. Neighborocracy is the system of an inclusive participative governance alternative to the democracy, present-day democracy, or we can call it a deeper democracy, or even we can call it sociocracy in the neighborhood. Now, I will explain very briefly how it functions. So every neighborhood of 30 families are formed as one unit, as a neighborhood parliament. And it is inclusive. It includes everyone who lives in that particular geographical area where these 30 families live. There is no exclusion whatsoever. Uh, caste-wise or uh, um, religion-wise or whatever it is. And India, you know, is a very, very diverse uh, country. So here we make it very important that anyone live, who lives in the particular neighborhood has to be part of it. Now, after coming together, what they do? They form them as a parliament. And whatever happens in the parliament, in the nation level, will happen here for the neighborhood, to be very simple. So every member will be elected as a minister. 
So they say, say in the neighborhood of 30 families, there are 30 members. Then there will be definitely 30 ministers. Each one has to be a minister, which means each one has to be responsible for something or other. That is the idea. So there will be a prime minister, there will be a parliamentary affair minister, there will be a finance minister, there will be a health minister, education minister, minister for environment, minister for uh, disability concern, minister for that, this, uh, child care, minister for uh, gender equality, minister for all that whatever SDG is talking about today. And even more than that. Minister and, for, Sorry, ju uh, just to clarify, SDGs, you're talking about sustainable development goals of the UN, correct? Yes, exactly. And even more than that, uh, for peace building, we have a minister. For eradication of uh, corruption, we have a minister. Eradication of terrorism, uh, alcoholism, drug, uh, drug abuse, for everything we have ministers. And for road and transport and employment and uh, labor and all that. And elders care, animal husbandry, housing. For everything we have minister. And uh, so they meet once in a week. Once in a week they meet. They have their actual meeting. And there will be a speaker elected for the meeting. Under the guidance of the speaker, the meeting happens. And these ministers take the survey in the neighborhood about con anything concerned to their ministry. For example, for education minister, if there is a school dropout or there is some problem in the schools or uh, something uh, very serious with the children uh, and their studies, whatever it is, everything is taken care by the neighborhood this way. So that's how they function. And these neighborhood parliaments, and there is a, a children, children parliament and a youth parliament. All these parliaments function the same way in the neighborhood. If you take the children parliament, all the children will be elected as ministers of these 30 family children. And they will be the same ministers what we have for the adult parliament. There will be minister for uh, education, health, that and this, as I mentioned earlier. The same thing with the youth parliament. Now, these neighborhood parliaments or the children parliament at the neighborhood level or the youth parliament at the neighborhood level, they are networked at the higher levels. We call it a vertical network. The neighborhood parliaments will be networked. 30 neighborhood parliaments will come together as a village parliament. And 30 village parliaments will become a panchayat parliament. Like that. 30 panchayat parliaments will become a block parliament or a zonal parliament. And 30 zonal parliaments will become a district parliament. And 30 district parliament will become state parliament. And 30 state parliament will become a national parliament. And 30 national parliament will become continental parliament or a regional parliament. And 30 regional parliament will become global parliament. So that's how they are networked. So that any decision taken even at the global level will have an active participation and consent of every individual at the neighborhood level all over the world. So it is not one politician or two politicians you know, decide for the whole country. For example, this present day situation in uh, Russia and the Ukraine. 
Majority of the Russians do not want war. They don't want Russia to go to war against Ukraine. On whatever pretext it may be, that can be solved through different means, not by war. But what happens? The real people's voice is not heard there. So, when this system of governance is established, any problem in the world can be solved. And this system of governance, we call it neighborocracy. A governance system starting from the neighborhood and networked at the global level. And in this system of governance, even a six-year-old child has a say, an effective say. An opinion. The child can share its opinion on whatever matter uh, the, the, the governance system has. You know? So its likes, dislikes can be shared. Yeah, lots of things are happening. So this system of governance will be perhaps the best as it is given now. So that is what uh, we have experienced through this and a lot of experiences are there in this. We've talked many times about neighborocracy and in those conversations I've realized that there are so many similarities between the work that we are both doing and uh, we've, we've gone all the way to the global scale, but I want to scale it down just a little bit, even below the neighborhood level, because I think a lot of our listeners long to meet their neighbors and build those relationships, but they might feel a little bit stuck on, you know, before we get to even the, the neighborhood coming together and, and wanting to do the common dreams of the neighborhood, uh, we've, we've got to get just, I have to simply meet my neighbors. And so... I, I found it interesting that the tips that you have talked about that you know you use to help people get to know their neighbors are mostly the same tips that we also tell people. And so I was just wondering, could you give us an idea of what is your favorite way to get to know a neighbor? And yeah, and any stories related to that as well? Yeah, thank you, Yan. Here, in Indian context, meeting the neighbor is not at all difficult. Because culturally, everything happens on the street only. So, neighbors coming, anything, neighbors coming together and talking, even if there is some little free time, the neighbors will come together. Uh, on, the, on the portico of somebody or on the, on the outside, on the roadside of some house and they will sit and talk. So talking to the neighbor is not at all a problem in Indian context. But when I introduced this subject to the Europeans a few years back, really it was very difficult for me to understand when I heard the participants telling me talking to our neighbors is not in our culture. And I was really surprised. How is that you can remain without talking to neighbors? Then, of course, definitely I started studying about it. And that trend is catching up even in Indian urban setup now. Because all flat system and they don't want, they don't have time. They don't have time for the neighbors for anything. They, they are like machines. From morning to evening, they keep on slogging, slogging, slogging for the whole week. And the end of the week, they just take the family outside 
for one or two days for outing and just relax. Then they come back and get back to the same vicious cycle. So we don't blame them. We don't blame them. That's how the system is built. And the system is built in such a way that people do not have time to think about other things that except uh, that thing which is engages them to make money. And the, the, the system is built in such a way that these people, people keep on spending, paying bills so that they keep on working to meet the need of paying the bills. So this is a very meticulous plan of the corporates. I will blame them directly. I will explain to people how it is. How, how do we bring the corporates here? Yes, they, it's, it has got a very direct connection. And I keep on telling in my meetings, everything is designed, planned by the corporates and the politicians so that people are kept either always engaged or always, uh, you know, with, with a certain emotional upheaval. And people should not be left free even for little time. If they have little time free, then engage them with all the TV shows, music shows, uh, crickets, that games, this games, so that they don't, you know, uh, put their attention on the real issues. You know, so that's how it is. Now coming back to the neighbors, I don't want to blame them, but let us go back about two hundred years back, in the same European or American uh, culture. How was it? Did not the uh, neighbors come together? at that time, 200, 300 years back? Were they exactly as people are today? No. All the neighbors came together and did lots of things together. Whatever they did, they did together. Like what we do in India now. It was the same society 200, 300 years back in, uh, in, in European and American uh, countries. But how the change came? The change came that Every individual was pressurized indirectly to keep them engaged fully so that they keep on making money to pay the bills, which is just enough to pay the bills. That's all. That's all designed in such a way. Their employment and that and this and all this industrial development is, you know, added to all these things. And finally, it has converted human beings into machines, this lifestyle. A mechanical lifestyle. You even, you know, I, 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 I want to really feel sad to say that even our personal life is designed such a way that we live a mechanical life. You know, uh, we just get married, we have children, and we tend to them to to certain age, that and this, and we everything is designed such a way that we keep ourselves mechanically engaged and there is a very little space for our emotional uh, emotional uh, self there you know that's how I, I i i see that and so 
I fully understand the difficulty in European and American countries, why it is so difficult for them to talk to the neighbor, because they never talked to the neighbor. They did not have time to talk to the neighbor. So they, they, they lost the culture of talking to the neighbor. They become so individual centric or family centric and they don't have enough time even to take care of the family itself. Then how can they have time for the neighbors? So it's all designed. Now we have become the victim of this design. Because there is no way out. We'll have to run along with all the, all the people, those who run in the race. Otherwise, we will be left behind. We will lose the race. We will lose uh, our money. We will be ending up with less money. Then we cannot pay the bills. And paying the bills again, it's all designed by the corporates. You'll have to buy the car, you'll have to buy this, you'll have to buy that. Because that's how the lifestyle is put into ourselves. And in India, I can live without a car. But in a European country, there nobody, no individual can live without a car. Because he has to go to the market. Market is some, some distance away. He has to go to work. It is a distance away. That and this. And even, I would say, in the American context, even the housing societies, housings, uh, companies, they build houses such a way that they have to use the car. Okay, so all these housing companies have a tie-up with the car manufacturers. So that once the housing company starts, the car manufacturer will have a tie-up with them. Advertising, so, so many things will be there. You know, so there will be some little uh, doling out here and there to buy that car, this car. All is there. It's all... Uh, a, a type of a very funny type of system which is built around us. Finally, we have become slaves to the system. We cannot come out. We cannot come out. We are caught into the web of this system. Now, I have to sit as an individual and ask this question. What is wrong where it is? What is a mistake? Where is a mistake? Why I cannot talk to my neighbor? Why I don't want to talk to my neighbor? Is it I don't want to talk to my neighbor or I don't have time to talk to my neighbor or something else or some other block? What is a barrier? It is not that we are not used to talk to strangers. Definitely we are used to talking to the strangers. When we go to a new company as an employee, there may be hundreds of people working there. We go and introduce ourselves and how we get along with the people in the office. We are, we can, we have the, we have the system to adopt ourselves. But why we don't apply this system of adopting to the neighborhood? I don't, I don't, I don't say, I don't want to say uh, you spend hours together with the neighbors. Spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Just to say, hello, John, how are you? How things are going on? Just to say, hello, give a smile. Just pop up and uh, share a piece of cake or a piece of ice cream with that person. Say, okay, I, I, I'm busy. I'll come tomorrow and say hello to you. Simple. Why don't we do that? We don't want to do 
because we are pressurized by the designs and the system and we don't want to take risk also. Because knowing neighbors is taking risk to a certain extent, which we don't want. So there are so many things connected with this so that we, the, the culture of talking to the neighbor has just vanished. I want to share my own my own personal experience on this. When I was a child, I am coming from a very obscure, remote village. And that in that village, we had about uh, approximately six to seven hundred houses, and none of the houses had a door, main door. Anyone can enter anyone's house, take anything, and go, and inform the person later. Even cooked food was shared by the people. That was a relationship. Such an amount of trust. Such an amount of uh, caring for others, each other. And, and honesty. Nobody was stealing anyone from anyone else because it is open. No, honesty. Truthfulness. It was all existing. And caring for each other and humaneness. Understanding each other be compassionate and sympathetic and empathetic, all was there. But today, in the same village, the same village, we have individual houses just with the main door, then grill gate in the veranda, then the main gate, compound gate, and with the writing there, beware of dogs. What happened to the same village? Within these 60 years, such a lot of change in my own village. This change is what is taking place all over the world, and especially in the developed countries, in the urban areas. And to, it has gone to that certain extent that the culture of talking to neighbors has completely vanished, and it is not part of the culture. So when I met the first community in Europe, uh, say about 10, 12 years back, when I heard that talking to neighbors, it is not in our culture. And I was shocked. And I kept on, I kept on hearing this for a few years. And at one point of time, I started telling my brothers and sisters, if talking to the neighbor is not, if it is not in your culture, please change the culture. The culture has to be changed because we are dealing with not neighbors. We are dealing with human beings. And if there is anything, the first person who can come to you is your neighbor. Something very urgent. It happened to me. It happened to me. A few years back when my grandson was one and a half years old. It's a heavy rain. The whole, whole area was flooded. And high fever. The fever was exceeding. 103, 104 already is collapsing. Nothing, nothing could happen. Then immediately I went to the neighbor and the neighbor said, I will take my car. But I said, 
about four feet what doesn't matter i will reach your grandson to the hospital he just took the car we just jumped in with the child he just you know just boomed on the road and we reached the hospital just on time the doctor said if the child would have reached this about five minutes late we would have lost the child it was just on time now in this critical situation the person who came to my help was the neighbor we could call the ambulance we could call that person this person all that but they will not be so immediate by that time they approach they arrive things would have gone out of our hands so any emergency the first person who can be with you is your neighbor so build that relationship with that neighbor and how to do it how to do it and we there is a lot of experiments in europe huh? we've been doing it in europe in many for past few years and many groups have applied many methods you know experimenting it and in indian context it is very easy as i told you so we just knock the door and say hi how are you and we sit and we you know we we call it self inviting myself to their house say okay can i come john can i come and take a seat in a house i said yeah come come okay we sit okay what is that you are having coffee why don't you offer me a coffee you know that is self invitation ah huh? uh, okay you can i uh, can have some coffee no problem that's how it is we built it is not that always we doing that even we can offer we go it, that's what happened uh, in classco i've been uh, running these classes to the class a few communities in classco for past a few years online and last year i was uh, there in person so when i was talking a session i mean uh, having a session with one of the groups one person said joseph you were you were you were classes are fascinating so i become a disciple to you but i been following you whatever you say very very ardently but i also have a very bad experience she said i said tell me what is that said there is one neighbor who slams the door on my face whenever i knock the door i knock the door he opens then slams the door on the face and walks up so i get hurt i become offended i said uh, why the hell i do this uh, i why should i disturb him he doesn't want to talk to me why i will stop this here enough is enough too much then i told uh, told her kim her name is kim kim okay so whatever you have tried you have tried try one more time for me but this time you bake a small cake you have to bake don't buy it from the shop you yourself have to bake a small cake and put a rose there and a small rice you are a wonderful person you matter i am here to share my love to you love means not that love huh? that is a different love my care for you okay you can say this way i am here to share my care for you and take this cake knock the door before he slams 
put the cake in front of him. Push it. And your hands will be in between the door. And he cannot lock the door. Either he may say, get out. Or he may take the cake. Try this. Because only compassion and real care for others will open the door. Otherwise, people are so self-centric. And if somebody comes and talks, okay, he comes because he needs something from me. That mindset is there. But tell that person, you don't need anything from that person. But just you are there because you care for that person. Let him understand that. So she did it. Two days after. And still I was in Glasgow. And she did the same thing. And this time, that person could not slam the door because already her hands were in between the doors. So he said, Oh, this is for me. Yes, it is for you. I baked myself because I care for you. Okay, come in. That's all. She went in and started telling him how much she cares for. And each time he slammed the door, she said, each time you slammed the door, the more and more care for you started growing. And that person started weeping, tears from his eyes, then started sharing his stories why he slammed the doors. Because he has lost trust in the people because of his past life, past experiences. He doesn't want to talk to any stranger. Then, after almost talking about one and a half hour, they hugged each other. And he said, Kim, I am with you. Let us start working in the neighbors neighborhood. And after three, four days, Kim called me and said, Joseph, you are still in Glasgow? I said, yeah, very much. I am here. Then he said, okay, where are you? I said, I told the... Uh, place where I stay, said, can you spare five minutes for me? I said, yes, Kim, please come. I can spend even half an hour with you. She came. First thing she did was, she just hugged, hugged me and with the tears in her eyes and she said, you are a magical person, Joseph. Such a lot of experience with you and this experience has to be spread all over the world. And I have gone through that experience now. I know now how to deal with people. It's my real love and care and concern for that person will only open not only the door of the homes, houses, but the door of the heart. And nothing else. And that's how people have to experience this. And that's how every individual, whether America, American countries or European countries or Asian countries, whichever country, people are people. They are made with mind, life, emotions and mental capacity. All that is there. And there are lots of difficulties, lots of negative experiences and positive experiences, whatever it is, they are all put together. So we cannot expect everyone to, to open the door in the, immediately when we knock the door. No, we cannot, we cannot expect. We don't know whom are we going to meet. 
and what is that person's background and what is the experience he has gone through, what is his emotional self and all that. So go with a blank heart, with pure love, care and concern for that person, whoever he is. And once you knock the door with this attitude, with this approach, definitely after twice or three knocks or five knocks or after a few months, the doors will really open. And there is no way out. Finally, the door has to open and it will open. And I promise this to every participant here. Try this with a real compassion. Not as a mechanical setup, mechanical arrangements. If it is a mechanical arrangement, it is a mechanical arrangement. You have certain hidden agenda for you. And that person, each person will have their own hidden agenda. Yet there is no any hidden agenda. The only agenda is love, pure love, real care and concern for that person. That's all. And there is no alternative to this. Apply this and it happens. And of course, in the European context, they, they have tried various uh, methods. I remember in Augsburg, we have, I have two good friends there. One is Pia and another one is Maria. And they have started working. And, you know, they just uh, printed a, a visiting card with a small message and their phone number, email ID and all, saying that I am your neighbor living in the below address. I care for you. Why don't we meet and put this card in the, in the door? And many people have responded, first by the phone, some with the uh, this one, uh, email ID. And once they started experiencing these people's real care for them, then the further development. That's how it has happened. And uh, I remember in um, one place in Portugal, he was a student from Germany. Uh, his name is Momo. And... Uh, uh, as, as a student, uh, he was doing some studies in uh, uh, Portugal. So he said, I am a student. Should I do this? Yeah, I said, very much. You do it. So, but for me, it may be difficult to knock the doors. Use any method, whatever you say. Then you know what he started? In his neighborhood, he started playing guitar in the evenings. Yeah, singing songs. And in between the songs, say, Hi! I love you all. I care for you. I am living in a neighborhood. Okay? You want any special song? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and he started playing this for a few days. Then finally, all his neighbors became friends. You know? Some playing some other instrument, some playing wine, some playing drums. Oh, I play a drum. And, they, you know, they came together. Then uh, each one coming together, all coming together, playing music. Oh, fantastic. The whole neighborhood plays music. You know, so all, it all depends on the given talent of the skill and more to talent and skill, the real passion for people, the real care for people. I think I have answered uh, your question, Ian. Wow. The, what a sermon he just preached. Thank you for sharing that. There's just so much, so much to unpack and sit with with that. So thank you. So 
thank you for listening to this conversation with Joseph Rathenam, uh, one of the key leaders of the neighborocracy movement in India. And thanks again for listening to the Neighboring Movement podcast. You can check out all of our work on all social media platforms and on our website, neighboringmovement.org. Major thanks goes out to our hardworking podcast editor, Christopher Swanson, and to all of you out there listening, and even better, all of you going out into your neighborhood and meeting your neighbors. Until next time, happy neighboring. Thank you.